Welcome everyone to Kremlin File. Today, we're going to be speaking with Robert Baer, who is a former CIA case officer, primarily assigned to the Middle East. And he has a column in Times Intelligence section. Robert speaks eight languages, and he also won the CIA's Career Intelligence Medal. Wow. And his latest book, The Fourth Man, about the spy wars, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Okay, without any further ado, let's welcome Robert to the pod. Hi, Bob. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you so much for coming on. Yes, yes, yes. You know, it's a subject I'm passionate about. No question about that. Um, <laughs> have been for four years. Yeah. Uh, it nonstop, looking into the fourth man, and... I still am. Let's go back to the 1980s, because this was a period of time when the spy wars, okay, were going on. And we had right, Ames, Pitts, and Hansen, who were giving over intelligence, right, to the Soviets. Can you talk a little bit about these spy wars? Let me, let me go back to the 50s, in fact, is when the CIA knew nothing about Stalin's Russia. Nothing. I mean, there were a couple defectors. But it was impossible, you know, to get inside the mind of the Kremlin, Stalin, uh, the KGB's predecessors were in a lot of ways off limits. We didn't, there was no systemic attempt to recruit them. And this started to pick up in the 50s and 60s, so that when we got to the early 80s, the CIA and the FBI were doing very well. They had recruited active members of the KGB, military intelligence, um, diplomats, uh, and we started to get an insight into the Soviet system. This insight you could not get from reading newspapers, listening to phone calls, and the rest of it. I mean, obviously, the Soviet Union was a closed system. So these sources we got in the early 80s were absolutely fantastic for predicting Soviet policy, for predicting what was, or telling us what was happening in Afghanistan. Um, but more than that, there was a particular officer who warned us of the Sino-Soviet split. This was a, this was a general, uh, a GRU general. And, and based on that information, Nixon felt confident enough to fly to China and we, that was the beginning of breaking up uh, this, this alliance was very formidable between China and the Soviet Union. So spies played a, a crucial part in understanding. Ideally, we would like to have somebody right in the Kremlin, but that was always a bridge too far. But short of that, we were doing quite well. CIA was listened to when it said something about Russia. It was believed. It got a lot of things wrong, but those spies were absolutely crucial. And if I could jump forward, by 85 and 86, they started to disappear. They just were, they were getting arrested. Um, they were, they, they, in the streets of Moscow, our case officers, I think there were seven of them, were thrown out of the Soviet Union. We never knew why. The Russians, the KGB, seemed by 85 and 86 to be in Langley, and it threw Langley into a, a, a tailspin. So it's basically they went dark. They just didn't have any more information. Yeah, and then later on, we found out that they were executed, many of them who were cooperating. 
horrible ways. Some of them were put in, as we heard, into gurneys tied alive in front of their families and pushed into a blast furnace. (gasps) Oh, my God. That's the Soviet Union for you. Yeah. Very cruel. So what's happening in Ukraine today? I mean, it's, you know, this is the way they operate. This is just the way they operate. It's predictable. I mean, it's totally predictable. And by the way, before we go too far, I'm not anti-Russian at all. I spent almost every day with the Russian division in Central Eurasia on the Afghan border. And the Russians I dealt with were absolutely delightful. All my friends were Russians. I lived on the third floor of a hotel, which I shared living quarters with the Russian embassy. And it was it was funny. You know, I'd walk by the Russian ambassador's room and he would stand out there in his robe and wave to me and say, you want a cup of coffee? The Russian soldiers protecting, you know, the hotel in the middle of this civil war. So this is not a bias. It's not an ethnic bias. It's just it, it, I'm talking about political reality here. Yeah. Bob, you just released a book now, going back to your book, The Fourth Man, and you discuss a CIA uh, mole in a very high-level position who was also giving intelligence to the Soviets. Can you tell us about the book, and how did you get into this? What made you start investigating and looking for this fourth man? Well, first of all, let me explain where I came by the title, and this was a title I took from a former boss who wrote an L.A. Times article entitled The Fourth Man. And the way the intelligence community does the numbering is the moles the Russians were running in American Russian intelligence. The first one was Ed Lee Howard, who defects to the Soviet Union. And he ended up having his neck broken in Moscow. Nobody knows how or why. Um, The second one is the famous mole, Rick Ames, who was arrested in 94. And he's the one that took a big bag of secrets and deposited them at the KGB office in Washington. Well, it's actually a restaurant. And the third one was Bob Hansen, who's an FBI agent who worked in Russian operations. So you've got these three guys. And so what the FBI sat down and the CIA, they sat down in 94 after the arrest of Rick Ames. And they said, all right. We know there's two problems, and they base this on the number of compromises that couldn't be accounted for by Ed Lee Howard and Rick Ames. And there was a lot left over. Those two guys had never had any access. And the FBI and the CIA sat in this little room, and they figured out, wait a minute, all right, we've, we definitely have, the Russians have a mole in the FBI, and they've got one in the CIA at a very high level. So they said, we've got two more, at least. Uh, and there was no doubt about it. This this fourth man in the CIA was not an urban myth. Um, and I base this on talking to all the investigators. I don't I don't take hearsay. I don't. Uh, I don't even take information from senior officers who didn't know the details. I only took it from the investigators. And in my book, you'll see I list them. And by the way, they said go ahead and expose our names. Because I gave the manuscript to the FBI and the CIA. We don't care. We're whistleblowers. We want this on paper. You get it out. Um, And that's where they came to the determination. With no doubt at all, there was a fourth man. Um, 
Now, how I got into the story was I'd never did Russian operations in the CIA. I was always Middle East. And so this is all new to me, the way they handle documents. The CIA in this investigation mimics the KGB, where the KGB takes its most sensitive information, takes it out of files, and puts it on what they call postcards. And nothing, nothing revealing in these postcards. So if, you know... Boris Yeltsin had been a KGB agent, it would only be on a postcard and his name wouldn't even appear on it. It just so the CIA and the, and the FBI, I mean, the CIA and the KGB mimic each other in this way. So I it was all new to me. And the, and the way the story came to me was a former boss of mine who ran all of Russia and Eastern Europe and the Caucasus and, and, um, Central Asia, we were driving back from lunch and, and he said there was a there was a mole in the CIA, very senior, and I wish I'd stayed. He dropped the name on me and it, it was just it was incredible. I just didn't believe it. I thought he'd and I know the guy is not conspiratorial in any way. And so he challenged me, he said, Well, if you don't believe me, you go back to the investigators and reconstruct this investigation going back to ninety-four after the arrest of Ames, which, which is what I did. And it was a, it's a funny situation because a lot of my colleagues, friends I knew, some of them just lied to me. Though there's no fourth man, are you crazy? And others it just deflected in many ways. So it was a matter of piecing the story together and then taking a look at the suspects, because there was a limited amount of them. One of the suspects, very early on, an FBI spec, suspect was named Steve Weber. He'd run operations. He died in Hungary. He was on contract. It was all very mysterious. <coughs> in fact, the FBI put an article, planted an article about him in the Washington Times. But as the investigators told me, they initially looked at him. And he didn't have access to the key compromises. So he was thrown off the list. And then what I do in the book is I walk, I reconstruct the investigation, and I offer the reader, oh, was this guy a suspect? One guy had an East German wife um, and family in East Germany and couldn't pass a polygraph. He was head of counterintelligence. He's dead now. And so the reader gets to look at this guy's character and say, was he the guy? And then, then I say how the investigators looked. No, he was gone when these compromises occurred. And what the investigators did was they put together what's called a matrix. And that's sort of like a deep chronology is they take travel of KGB officers. They take travel of CIA officers. They take compromises. Um, and, and they put them in this chronology so they can come up with this matrix, which then leads to a profile. So, for instance, they know that the fourth man in 91, after the Soviet Union collapses, took, put himself on ice. There was no meetings in Washington with, the, with his handlers. They think the handlers could have met them or no dead drops um, or think they called starbursts when the KGB uh, section in Washington sends all of its people to confuse the FBI. So the one officer not under surveillance can go make a meeting or a dead drop or put down a chalk mark or whatever. So they, they did this, and then they, 
they, you, I, I walked the reader through their conclusions, and then in 1994, they, and I'm not, I won't need to say his name, they, they confront the man that they believe is, was the mole, the fourth man, and he didn't say anything. He just, he just jumped up and left the meeting, and then he proceeded with the backing of CIA seventh floor to close down the fourth man investigation. They thought they just found it very weird in the CIA. You don't ask questions like, like a military organization. They were dispersed through the CIA. One of the lead of the investigators was sent to my office. I didn't know what she was doing. I was told she was working on a special project she continued the investigation away from counterintelligence and away from the FBI. And she and her colleagues produced what was called the in-case memo presenting all the evidence, uh, which the CIA destroyed and didn't give to the FBI. I know that from the FBI. It was never given to the FBI. So there was like a hundred page document saying this, 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 this. And it was destroyed. I know the FBI didn't get it. I don't know if it still exists. But it was all done on air gap computers. It was one copy of it, and they smashed the hard drive after it was done. And they told me the chain that it went up and where, where it was last seen. Um, you know, there's a saying at the CIA, the only thing worse than knowing you have a mole is finding the mole. Oh, it's like Ames, oh, you know, you could have, if Ames could have, Betrayed all this and retired and gone off. There had been no scandal and probably no more damage. And okay. for saving face, the CIA would have. Same, same way goes for Hansen. If Hansen hadn't been outed. Um, so uh, this, is, this, is a, you know, this is a game that Le Carre so well does in Tinker Taylor Soul Spy. But imagine this story is not... Bill Hayden is the mole and Tinker Taylor's soldier spy. It's George Smiley, which makes, I think it just another level of complexity to the whole thing. I mean, if you had a mind that loves complexity, this would make a great TV series. Yeah, it would. It would. How long, Bob, how long was, uh, was the fourth man in operation? I don't know whether you said it because my, my video had frozen at a certain point. Um, well, what happened was no one truly believed that there was a fourth. I mean, there, there wasn't enough, you know, to saying it was a matter of deduction, the matrix. And the FBI says, you can't take deduction to court. This isn't evidence. Very rightly, the FBI says this. But then you have a series of defectors come out of Moscow, and the first one to come out, and I, I'm pretty sure I know his name, but I won't say it. Um, I've been told not to, says, hey, there was this fourth man, here's his name. So the FBI reopens the investigation in 2006 and takes the guy's name. And the guy by now is retired and goes and knocks on people's doors, a lot of doors, and said, this guy secretly go to Moscow in 1984. So they figured that he volunteered to the Russians in 84 bizarrely goes to Moscow, maybe through Berlin, through the U-Bahn, maybe acted defiance, anger, we don't know, but it's stupid to go to Moscow. And then 
But the FBI was confident enough about these Russian defectors to go ask questions by name. Olga, if, 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 the, if the FBI doesn't like you, they're, they're legally not allowed to go out and ask your neighbors whether you're, I don't know, strangling cats in the neighborhood. That's just, they, they can't do that. I mean, they have to not have evidence that you've done something before they can, they can name you. And I've just, you know, so they had good reason in 2006. The investigation is going on until today. So this is the longest running counterintelligence investigation in American history. Uh, as a month ago, they were visiting um, the sources of my book and, and making sure, and I don't think it's a leak investigation, to make sure that they didn't miss anything. They are crossing the T's and dotting the I's. But the problem is, if they have the right guy, he outplayed them. No money, no documents, no suspicious travel, because he met the KGB. This is the assumption. This is what the defectors say when he was on CIA business. So if he flies to Dusseldorf to do a case, for instance, or consult with, a, with the CIA guys there, that he on the side, he meets the Russians. So the FBI, all they have is, well, yeah, he goes to Dusseldorf, but he went on CIA orders. Um, and this is why cases driven the FBI crazy. Do you ever see him actually being named and outed and prosecuted? Or do you see just this, you know, running out the time and it being swept under the rug? Well, I, I, I think it can run out the, run out the clock. Um, I, a lot of these interviews I do is really I'd like to get the message to Moscow to KGB officers, any Russian intelligence officer who has the goods on this guy. Now's the time to defect. Um, all the other moles in American intelligence were outed by defecting Russians. As far as we Ames, Howard, Hansen, Pitts, right down the line. Wait, Pitts is out of jail. I talked to him a couple times. Oh, wow. I remember the the most bizarre way of actually running into him, of actually doing research um, on on uh, Kislin in New York, and, and he came up in, like, Russian articles. I'm like, Pitts, huh? And then I kind of, I, there's a very bizarre story with him and, and Kislin, who's Russian mafia slash KGB, and it was a fascinating thing, and that's actually how I came across Pitts was through uh reading this Russian articles on on uh Kislin and um their connection. It is. It's 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 fascinating once you get into it. <coughs> what I like is that RT just is apoplectic about the book. Scott <laughs> something. I mean it's in a Russian intelligence outlet wrote something about it. it's like Sam I and I'm trying to get a guy to write an article about him saying, you know, they're in the middle of a war. Who cares about a Cold War story? And why are they so upset? One is that we're close to outing the fourth man. And two, it's almost certain that what the, what the FSB calls a queen sacrifice, and I mention this in the book, is they give up an, another American asset to protect the fourth man, which is for the FSB, that's just disastrous that they would betray one of one of their sources to protect another one uh, because they, they can't recruit anybody else. So 
it, it's just funny. It's like the FBI respond, refuses to respond to the press about the fourth man. So we're not going to talk about it. They don't say it's an urban myth. They don't say there's, you know, there's too many errors in the book. You've discussed anything like that to the undercut. They just don't want to talk about it. Um, and neither will the CIA. Um, but the only people that do that is Russian intelligence. And <laughs> that is a, a that that is Russia for you. It could be it could literally be like a you know World War Three, and they'll be focused on some kind of CIA or FBI investigation on something, even if it goes back you know thirty forty years ago. What I do? To, tell me if this is a good idea. I have the names of the fourth man's handlers. And I have Peskov's personal email address. I'm going to email him and ask him if I could interview the guys. What does he think about it? I would love that. That is I that would love. Fun prank? I would love that. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing. But that's how you have to deal with Russians. I mean, this is how you, you have to troll them. I mean, because, you know, this is what they do to us. They, they, uh, you know, installed, did everything to install Trump into office. And, you know, they're like, who, us? We never interfere in elections. And then meanwhile, every chance they have, they're like, you know, we put Trump in power. We could take him out whenever we want. And they just kind of troll us through their media outlets, you know, and, and their senators who make stupid statements and whatnot, just to kind of rub it in the face. But then the official Russian policies, we don't interfere in other people's elections. And that's it. But next breath, uh, they'll, you know, how many times our Trump, they used to say, oh, we're going to make uh, Trump uh, take this foreign policy decision. He's our Trump. We put him in. And as quick as we put him in, we'll take him out of office. You know, and this is what they did. Well, so, Well, the Russians have figured out what they're dealing with a large percent of American population when it comes to foreign affairs are imbeciles. Mm -hmm. They don't know. They could not find Moscow on a map. No, they they, they don't know anything. They couldn't. Can't they find can't Ukraine. find Moscow on a map. But yet they push pro Kremlin propaganda. Like I've literally had Twitter wars a few days already with people who are like who are screaming about Lithuania and Kaliningrad. I'm like, dude, you don't even know what that is. You probably have to Google it. But they're like. Pushing pro Kremlin talking points. Uh, Lithuania is going to get us into World War Three because of the blockade, which there is no blockade. It's just you know uh, Lithuania enacting uh, sanctions, EU sanctions, on partial sanctions uh, on goods, and that's it. And these people are so like you know, forceful with their points. And I'm like, you don't even you can you wouldn't even know how to find America on a map. Forget finding Kaliningrad. Like, you know, what are you so worried about? Yeah, Some, well, I mean, it's we just decided to avoid any knowledge of things for, foreign. And, um, you know, it, it's like I look back at the CIA and there's all of the problems it has is hiring, you know, basically spies, you know, just like the Chinese. They just hired a bunch of Chinese communists and put them in the CIA, which is not a good idea. You say... Wow. <laughs> What's wrong with your own people learning Russian and and, and keeping people on the yeah. job? Learn, learn yourself Russian, you know? Just like Yeah. No. Yeah. We're just yeah. we're just not good at it. Yeah. And and if you're in Moscow and they and you had the same opportunity, if you were at Lubyanka, wouldn't you do the same thing? You'd sit up there and say, Look, 
we can manipulate Americans, let's do it. Is it going to cost us a lot of money? No. No. Yeah, that's their, that's their mm. number one tactic, disinformation division campaigns. Luckily, um, you know, the new, which we'll get to, Mo has a question on that, but luckily the newer generation of Russian intelligence officers are, I mean, extremely stupid. I mean, they're stupid, they're reckless, they are careless to the point. Mm. You go on an assassination mission to kill Skripal and you end up getting drunk in your hotel and like blowing half of the operation, you know, and killing a British citizen and missing the target. So, I mean, luckily, mm. you know, they on their side, they're there, uh, you know, because uh, for whatever reason, I guess the corruption, they're too distracted and stupid and drunk and whatever. And that <laughs> did save us to be a little bit better than where we could have been. Uh, an FSB defector I know, his first job is to go recruit a commodities dealer in Moscow, right? Hmm. And, and and as soon as the recruitment occurs, the dealer hands him money. He says, I can't take this money. He says, well, it's okay. And he called the boss and the boss says, yeah, take it. It's like it, you're expected to, to – it, it's a criminal organization. And if it's mm-hmm. a criminal organization, you, you can't think straight, you yeah. know. Why did they kill Litvinenko? Litvinenko with polonium. It's just dumb. Why leave a signature? I could find Russian assassins in London to do it with the 22 or strangle somebody, as we know, like the Airflot guy. So why didn't they do it that way? Why was Putin so insistent on getting caught in in Salisbury and with Litvinenko? It just gets crazy. Or even with Navalny. Hmm. I mean, how hard yeah. would it have been for the FSB to kill Navalny when it's in a in a, in a inside Russia, front? Tomsk? I mean, <laughs> yeah, and then Tomsk. blame it on yeah, Chechens. Yeah, yeah. yeah, or just blame it yeah. on anyone. I mean, he fell out the window like the rest of them do. You know, you you figured yeah. the logic is just eludes us. I mean, they do have real capabilities. Russian intelligence, they're very good, and yet they've got this whole cadre cohort of kids that have no idea what they're doing. None. Zero. Hmm. Sort of like the conscripts hmm. on the front lines <laughs> with their yeah, military. Ukraine. Yeah, Go exactly. Ahead. It, exactly. It's what we don't understand. Why did they send conscripts when they do have units in the Russian military and they've got generals who know what they're doing? Why did they take the, the, the bench, you know, the second tier, and throw them into this and embarrass, embarrass Russia? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, there's Bob, a fourth or fifteenth uh, man inside who's sabotaging Russia yeah. from inside. That would be wonderful. It could be. <laughs> yeah, put, put, it could put, be. It could be. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's one we should put out. You He's know, a what? secret CIA. That, you that, know, that, is that would be a lot of fun. One. You know, Putin's been CIA for. I mean, much better than they accuse me of time. being CIA twenty four seven. I am getting just the Russian well, it, ambassador, and I'm like, does, uh, if huh? you want to destroy Russia, who's doing better than Putin? Exactly. I'm telling yeah. you, that's it. That's yeah. that's it. Yeah. Putin is CIA. He was yeah. recruited in the nineties. Okay, so we make up the memes, we put them out there. Okay, we got our own little trolls working. Yes. All right, and uh, and let's get that. Okay, let's get that going. All you is travel, and you put a CIA guy in the hotel next to him, and he's claiming a <laughs> place. We'll get some ex-Russian intel officers to to put this nonsense together, and 
<laughs> We're off. Get it out. Right? <laughs> you, and you know, the other thing about Trump is what they don't understand. He goes to Moscow in 87 and comes back with the talking points, your KGB talking, mm-hmm. puts them in the newspaper. Yeah. The American press isn't bright enough to understand this could have been a recruitment that was almost a fake recruitment by the second chief directorate where you, you sit him down and say, Hey, you want this hotel here? Invest a hundred thousand. We'll, we'll get you this hotel. And it was a phony deal. But then the KGB being a corrupt organization passes up as a recruitment. And then in Mr. Magoo, Trump, yeah, yeah, a hundred thousand dollars for a hotel in Moscow, the best, you know, prime piece of property. And, <laughs> They have it recorded, and you know you can take the recordings and do it. <laughs> so it's it's really a comedy of errors. You don't need sexual entrapment. You don't need anything. Yeah. But you have to yeah. remember, Khrushchev, the KGB director, is saying, you know, recruit anybody, anybody. Wow. And that wow. A lot of these were fake recruitments, and the CIA works that way too. With these, uh. these people, they are fakes. So, yeah, I mean, the it's, eighty-four it's, memo expanded the recruitment, and it expanded it from like tech and you know nuclear scientists mm-hmm. and and politicians to recruit businessmen and basically anyone influential. Mm-hmm. And then was, <laughs> here you see Trump. Who me? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I'm important. Quota, I'm important. That's all it was—a quota system. Mm-hmm. All right, we got to have ten recruitments a month of Americans, and well, if that's what you want here. We got this guy Trump. Yeah. Okay. Here's the list, and here he is, Agent Orange. Okay. I want to circle back for just a second to the fourth man. All right. Just before my internet, you know, cuts out once mm. again. Um, Bob, what were some of the consequences, like, of the stuff that the fourth man had actually given over to the Soviets? Are there any concrete examples of we know that where it made a difference in a U.S. foreign policy? One is yeah. once they had the fourth man in place, uh, the KGB ran what we call dangles into the CIA. And they were supposedly like submarine engineers and people like that who took plans to Russian submarines or to the SS-21 surf- surface missile. They were manipulated in a way that did no good at all, but it caused the Pentagon to redesign weapons. Oh, wow. Based on this supposedly stolen plans from Russia. And wow. so the fourth man is in a position to go to the Pentagon and say, this stuff is great. And then the Pentagon redoes weapons. So if you want to know why the Patriot missile cannot stop incoming missiles, Soviet design, Russian design missiles, it goes back to this. And wow, wow. And another thing they did was uh, they took all the transcripts from the Yeltsin um, um, Clinton meetings and gave them to the FSB. And the FSB turned around and put them in front of Yeltsin's face and said, We're everywhere. So watch yourself at the States. So Yeltsin is scared by this. Um, and he's scared by Putin. Putin has helped him with the prosecutor, got his family in trouble. He seems to have Washington completely wired. He's a pleasant fellow. He saved his Tatiana, the daughter. 
Um, so instead of appointing the railways minister, a non-entity, basically, he appoints Putin. And so what you have, what we have is a slow rolling, slow rolling coup d'etat in Russia, which we miss because by 98, the CIA has no sources. And all the State Department contacts in Moscow or anywhere in the world have all been compromised to the FSB, every single one of them. So if Jim Collins, the ambassador, thinks he's found an interlocutor, that interlocutor is immediately given to Putin, and then Putin closes him down. So by 98, 99, we did not see this KGB coup d'etat coming. You know, it's it's a stretch to call it a Pearl Harbor, not seeing an attack like this. But, you know, on, on things like that, I mean, people at the CIA bridle when I say this, but there was no information. Well, I've got Jim Collins. I've got Mark Medish, the NSC director at the White House at the time. I've got the National Intelligence Officer. I've got all the desk officers from the CIA. So there was zero sources by 98. The five agents that the CIA had in Russian, in Russia altogether were all pulled out very quickly. So zero. We were absolutely blind in Moscow. And I don't know anything about intercepts and things like that, but you can guarantee that any sort of phone taps, things like that, were all betrayed to. So the fourth man blindsided us. Can I follow up on something uh, just out, out of curiosity? Uh, Putin took over FSB, uh, I believe, what, 97, he became the head of FSB. Um, and suddenly you see, you know, um, even like Americans who were working for Russian intelligence services for the first few years after the collapse, they kind of went quiet. And then you see a lot of them being reactivated. Do you think Putin would have gone through like old case files to see who's worth reaching out to? Because even Hansen, um, delivered his last um, drop, I believe it was like the day before the Soviet Union collapsed. No one knows if he, you know, if they even received it. I'm sure they didn't. Um, and then he attempted to reinstate himself by going to the Russian embassy, um, giving a code name. And they were so insulted at that moment because they were like, you know, what are you doing? And they reported it to our State Department. And somehow, again, that got lost. But then you see around 98, Hansen being reinstated and beginning again, you know, his operations to sell to um to uh, Russian intel information to Russian intelligence until I think 2001 when he got caught. Do you think Putin went through those files and saw who might have been like valuable to kind of reinstate? Absolutely. I mean, Putin, if there was a fourth man, and I'm taking the job of the people I've talked to, he he obviously knew about him and would have used him, knowing that he was going to retire, to find other agents. And the question is, Putin never trusted the first chief directorate of foreign intelligence. No one the KGB did because they defected too many. But he knew the second was always more reliable. They're paranoid. They're closed. They're, and, and he could trust them. The question is, how much did he turn the FSB loose on Washington and London and his other enemies? And the smart people tell me they just really picked up operations. And, and what's important is that when you when you that there are two KGBs, 
I mean, it's not just internal and foreign, but the FSB and its predecessor, the second chief, chief directorate, has run cases in Germany. A lot of this has been documented out of the Baltics when they seized the documents, how they were running these cases independently. And so if Putin is going to lean on anybody, it's going to be counterintelligence. And of course, counterintelligence, as reported in the press, is the ones that sort of led him into Ukraine, said it'd be fine going in. Um, but of course, that's not their metier, you know, judging the potential resistance of the Ukrainians. They made a huge mistake, sort of like the CIA did when it invaded Cuba. You know, it was like, well, <laughs> it's the same sort of mistake. Those are those big generic questions aren't for intelligence agencies. But there are people at FSB, as of today, who know how to run operations in Washington and not get caught. Wow. Now, um, we're watching the January 6th hearings and we're watching how Trump, you know, attempted to overthrow our elections. But going back a few years when Trump was running for president, obviously, we saw the first time in 2016, we saw Russia's interference. Literally, I mean, uh, I, uh, there were endless over, I think, 200 communications between, between Trump, um, his campaign, um, Russia. Russian officials, Russian businessmen, and and I mean it was just endless. We had the whole Senate Intel report, and and you know, and all the media that covered it and whatnot. But apparently, CIA was very concerned after Trump won uh, the presidency that in 2017 they exfiltrated one of their you know. Uh, good sources from Moscow. Um, what do you think the general commu uh, feeling was in the intelligence community? And are there any kind of safeguards put into place in the case? Because, I mean, I know that our intelligence plans for, you know, every single scenario there is. Are there any kind of mechanisms put in place to protect, like, for instance, uh, agent president, you know, whose allegiance is to a foreign power, from accessing our top secret information? There's nothing that's been envisaged that the president would consciously betray the CIA sources. They've in the past, by accident, betrayed all sorts of people and secretaries of state. Kissinger did that regularly. I mean, I remember once a source we were running, he had the guy's file in, an, in a meeting, and you could see it. People could photograph it. Kissinger's this arrogant, you know, totally arrogant, and he's not that bright. Um, and then I'm being Thanks, fair Bob. to him. Um, so, Kissinger loves Putin, though. Instead of retiring, was like a Moscow mule during 2016 elections. I've never seen someone so active flying back and forth between Moscow, U.S., Moscow, U.S., delivering messages. But go ahead. I apologize. Continue. <laughs> so. The problem is if your director and the president sits you down, says, who do you have in Moscow that can tell me what's going on? The director works for the president, almost invariably has to say, he can't say, I can't tell you. I just, I can't imagine that conversation going on in the White House. The only thing you can do is if you think that conversation is coming, is to simply exfiltrate your agent and relocate him in the United States. There's no other choice. Wow. And, and, and I mean, 
do you think there was a lot of damage? Like, would Trump um, have given secrets away? Take Saudi Arabia with Prince Bonesaw. Son-in-law goes into business with him. And they didn't want to give Jared Kushner a security clearance, but he got his security clearance. He knew everything we did collection in Saudi Arabia. The assumption has to be that when he becomes the business partner of Prince Bonesaw, would you like, would you be happy if you had a Saudi prince on the payroll and then Kushner knows about it? You just have to assume. I mean, that's the way I, as a former case officer, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, and even there was at uh, the time, like months before Khashoggi's um, assassination, uh, well, butchering, I wouldn't even call that an assassination, uh, um, that Kushner, um, hey, call it, like had an overnight like sleepover with uh, MBS and, uh, and, and handed information to him, which potentially resulted in that. But as with everything else, there was breaking news and then it just disappeared into thin air and no one followed up with yeah. it. It seemed like it every single day. Every hour with Trump. No. Devin Nunez, when he said on the Intel committee, come on. That, that's mm. what I'm saying. Like how I don't, I like, I just don't understand. Yeah. I go work for the Russians and get paid Here's two things you do. One is you work for a consulting firm, a legitimate one in London, London lawyers. Let them pay you for your wisdom and and simply meet the Russians, an intermediary, a proxy, and whisper stuff to them. You get paid, and there's nothing the FBI can do about it. They may know about it, suspect it, but we don't have a system to deal with it. Wow. We need to lobby for a system to deal with it because the the uh, past five years should have like showed all the loopholes that were unimaginable. What about all these ex-intelligence officers working for Budanov, who is, of course, one of Putin's sidekicks? Budanov's dead now, but he had the embassy contract to protect him, millions and millions of dollars. They went to work with him and in firm in Maryland. And it was just like open. And these guys were going back and forth to Moscow. And, you know, what were they? I don't know. I'm not accusing them of treason. It's just on the face of it. it to me, it doesn't look good. Trust me. I, um, oh, no. I lose my mind. There's nothing that makes me more sick than every time, you know, because I monitor Russian media and seeing them touting an ex, uh, you know, CIA person or ex-military or some kind of, you know, high-level officer or even low-level, you know, uh, with pro-Kremlin garbage propaganda. And I'm like, how is this allowed? It's worse if you're on RT or Sputnik's payroll. You're basically on Russian intelligence payroll. Yes. I mean, even the State Department websites that this is a Russian intelligence outlet. But these people... And Ron Paul, our good friend, is just eats it up. Just like, all right. And, and then his son, Rand Paul. Or you had the case of William Sessions, who was the FBI director who went to work for Mogilevich. And then his son now is sitting and, you know, and for the past several years. So what's his name? Um, I forgot the son's name in Texas. He's a representative and he's lobbying against for Russia, blocking sanctions, voting against Anything that, you know, hurts uh, Pete Sessions, anything that hurts um, Russian interests. I'm like, well, how is this possible? Like, why is he in our Congress? Get them out. Yeah. I mean, what's going to happen if there's a hot war between Russia and the United States? Are they still going to be in place? You have to wonder. They are. I mean, now you still see a very clear line of who's, you know, 
pushing pro-Kremlin propaganda and that Ukrainians are Nazis. And then you see, you know, the rest of the Republican Party who kind of like aligned more with, you know, that Russia is a threat. I would give, if I were still in the CIA, to have the sort of assets Russia has in this country, if I were running those assets in Russia, <laughs> I would still day driving the Kremlin. If I, if I had control of Russian TV and websites and, and openly paid Russians to sell American propaganda in Moscow, it would be great. So when the Russians... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. If you flip it around, it's true. I applaud them. Russians are not dumb. They are not dumb. I just wanted to ask you, Bob, on, on Ukraine, you know, are you following everything uh, that is happening and what, how do you think it's going to go in the, you know, in the, in the near future? This unfortunate to be a war of attrition. I mean, Putin is in, intent upon wiping Ukraine from the map. And he doesn't have to be done in six months, doesn't have to be done in a year. Uh, if you go back and read everything he said, um, he's, he's just going to feed artillery shells it helps him get rid of non-Russians, the conscripts in the military from the North Caucasus, whom the Russians hate, and just take this cannon fodder um, and these criminal groups out of Donbass, and apparently they've lost 55% casualty rates. He doesn't care. He thinks he's... he's, he's Joseph Stalin, you know, you know, reloaded, you know. This is, you know, go ahead. And this is what we do. We sacrifice. And it's a, uh, and he looks at the Ukrainians as, as serfs that should have never been freed. And as, as an inferior culture and an existential threat to Russia, because if Ukraine were to work a democracy and cleaned up its act and allied with Europe, it would be a dagger at Russia's heart. And this is as deep as his thinking goes. And this is all based on public statement because I don't know anybody. That, I do know. I did know somebody in the Kremlin, but they fled. Um, and they're, they're terrified that he's going to go to the mattresses on this completely, even to the extent of using tactical nukes. And I don't know if these people are right, but the fact that they think it's possible, it scares them. Yeah, I do too, because um, you see Putin's obsession, and I've been screaming forever that he is like a Stalin, you know, reincarnation, because uh, he's shown he, all the signs and the cruelty, you know, since the early 2000s domestically, and then we saw it kind of like trickle out, and now we're seeing it, uh, the, well, we, first we saw in Syria, and then uh, in Ukraine, and now again in Ukraine. But um, with that said, I am, you know, like my mind is blown that he is so intent on destroying Ukraine that he blew 20 years of operations because, I mean, it's not easy to put an RT and, you know, to get all the Russian disinformation channels in place across Europe, across the United States to have all the assets they had here. And then suddenly just for his 
you know, thing to make it so toxic. I mean, you had oligarchs who were like uh, partying on the yachts with politicians and collecting information for the Kremlin. And now you have these parties like, first of all, the oligarchs are banned from Europe. And even if they did show up, like who's going to go party on an oligarch's, you know, uh, uh, yacht yeah, while they're committing they uh, genocide? You know, the government is committing genocide. So he really like for his obsession of reinstating Soviet Union, literally, like, didn't think clear and and, and compromised a lot of operations that they had put in place. Mm-hmm. Which is good for us, but... He wants to to redo the Western order. He, th- he thinks it was to Russia's detriment. And the only way to save Russia is to attack the liberal West and unstitch NATO and Europe. And... And it's still up in the air. I mean, what's what's Hungary going to do? What's Poland going to do? What's Italy going to do come this winter when it starts to freeze? Um, what's Europe going to do when it's paying $10 for a gallon of gasoline or, or $20? Um, he's just as happy. That's what he's banking the world on. Into famine and recession and depression. And, you know, it, it, for him, this is the Samson option. Bring down the temple. Take everything with it. Mm. Yeah, no, and he's so backwards. Well, I mean, all of them, the whole system is is horrific. But they're all so backwards that, you know, while everyone else was moving forward, that like now Putin, you know, if, if, if a World War II wasn't enough for him, because that's all Russia obsesses about, that's their only accomplishment that they see. Now Putin's like back to Peter the Great. I'm like, okay, well, why not? Let's go back in history even further. <laughs> I mean... Now he's Peter the yeah. Great. Hi, I'm in between Stalin and Peter the Great. <laughs> but, I know it's the yeah. it's off its hinges. You just have to face that. And tw- come twenty twenty four, it's going to be we're going to be off our yeah full on. I mean, this is the way the trends are going, and I'm off often wrong. Yeah, and it could reverse. But when you have the Supreme Court is a Christian cult. That's not a good sign in, in terms of a, a liberal democracy. It's impossible to predict the future. But if you look at the past and you look at Brexit, this is where Putin's going. And if there are no defenses put in place, it, 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 Ukraine is not going to slow him down. Yeah. Yeah, and you see Russia activating both because, I mean, uh, you know, since Soviet days, they were always more aligned with the far left. But you saw over the past decade them, you know, activating the far right and supporting them. But with this war in Ukraine, maybe because they think the far right is too stupid to find Ukraine, they chose the far left as their outlet for disinformation starting the end of last year. And um, and you saw the fringe groups, you know, with the whole who are obsessed with Latin America and CIA and everything is CIA. CIA is falling out of the sky and, and they're sitting in every tree and responsible behind, you know, every cloud that moves that uh, like this is all a CIA operation, you know, with um, with a uh, hey, call it Ukraine um, uh, and an and actual proxy war between U.S. and Russia. The disinformation they're spinning is incredible, but you see how they're using the far left for there to deliver their message where instead of the far right. So, I mean, we really need to keep an eye on both the far left and far right. Yeah, who shows up to Moscow mm. with with General Flynn? Jill Stein. Like, it's like the, the oh, Russians okay. are not 10 feet tall. 
but they are, they see our weaknesses and they can hit them and they can hit them hard. Well, we need to, we need to start hitting back at their weaknesses because, you know, they're not immune from weaknesses. And even for Russia, the one thing, you know, they are, they're perfectly supportive of the, of the genocide by Putin. But the one thing that they do hate is a weak uh, leader. So, I mean, you know, Putin needs to be shown what a weak leader he is. And, you know, and kind of we need to put it right back at them of what they're doing to us and in Europe, you know. I don't see him on boss with a pair of binoculars and a, and a flak vest. No. <laughs> Riding the bear. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's yeah, just, he's, yeah, he has never heard a shot fired in anger. And this is the problem with um, KGB thugs. You know, they, 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 well, we do judo and, you know, and all that. But the fact is, he's, he's never been in a war. That's why Zelensky irks him so much, because Zelensky, you know, because obviously, you know, Ukrainian intelligence, uh, I like to call it good versus evil, but Ukrainian intelligence and Russian intelligence come basically, you know, from the same seat of the Soviet Union, except Ukrainian intelligence uses it for good, where Russia uses their intelligence for destruction. So you see, I mean, they know how to read each other's minds as far as the intelligence agencies, and you see how Ukrainian intelligence, you know, and obviously to boost the morale, made sure that Zelensky's walking around as bombs are falling and like, oh, look, I'm in my place. And, you know, and here, where's Putin? He's in a bunker somewhere in the Euro Mountains, hiding like uh, like uh, 40 feet under, you know. Uh, but you saw that kind, kind of thing and you saw how that irked Putin. Like he, that, that like really, really infuriated him because you have one leader who's under attack, all his, you know, cities are being leveled, walking around freely in his own streets. And then you have, you know, who's supposedly the, the big leader hiding and hiding and, and no one can find him. I think we should convince Putin it's time for him to go to Snake Island and take command. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Could you, could you work on that? Yes. On a final note, will Russia increase their, um, you know, operations in the United States leading towards uh, midterms and towards 2024 in order to kind of distract us here while they continue their uh, genocide in Ukraine? Well, the problem is the Russians almost certainly have gone to proxies at this point. Uh, there's there's absolutely no point in in inflaming the situation in the United States and get caught. So they have an ability to, on the internet to push these false stories through proxies, and those are very hard to find, I would imagine. But if they're not involved in in pushing the line, the Republican hard right Republican line that oh this these were just tourists, they got rowdy. And that the Proud Boys yeah. had nothing to do with Trump, and and you know Trump forgot to send the National Guard. He was distracted. You know stuff like this. You know appealing to the imbeciles. And the the problem with the Russians is the imbeciles are so good at fooling themselves. You know why why mess with a system that's working? No, I laughed because I remember. Um... 
uh, a few months ago, or maybe the beginning of the year during COVID, some genius decided to start peddling on Facebook that you have to drink urine for um, COVID. And I was like, this is Russia. I will put this on Russia because the older, older Soviet generation, they're the only ones who drink urine because they think that it's like a, you know, pharmaceutical company. I mean, for a pharmacy in a, bo- in a bottle in your urine. Wait a minute. You mean I should stop taking bleach for my COVID? Yes. <laughs> There's something better, Bob. Yes, it's urine and it's cheaper. You don't even have to pay for it. I can't believe we're having this conversation. I I really can't. This has been so enjoyable. Yes, the fourth man, urine, and and Putin is CIA, and American uh, money is available for any uh, Russian defector who will come and confirm the fourth man. Everyone get out there and get the fourth man. Yes. Okay, bye. Hey, everybody, if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and please visit our website, kremlinfile.com. This is a Bunker Crew Media production, hosted by Olga Lautman and me, Monique Camara, with executive producers Marley Clements, Jack Bryan, Grant DeSimone, Ben, Brett, and Jordi Micellis of Midas Media. Theme music by Oreste Camara. Subscribe to Kremlin File wherever you listen to podcasts.